Welcome to the Open Deeply podcast, where guests open up and dive deep into the vulnerable experiences that shape them. We believe life storytelling has power, the power to heal and inspire others. Your journey towards finding your sexual and personal truth starts now. Here are your hosts, Sunny Megatron and Kate Laurie. Welcome to Open Deeply. I'm Kate Lurie. I'm a sex-positive psychotherapist, and my co-host is Sunny Megatron, who is an award-winning sex educator. Our guest today is Frenchie Davis, and here's a little bit more about Frenchie. Songbird, Broadway babe, and true slayer, Frenchie Davis is a world-renowned vocalist from Los Angeles, California, and a graduate of Howard University. Her theatrical credits include the Broadway cast of Rent, Dreamgirls, Cinderella Enchanted, Jesus Christ Superstar, and the national tour of Ain't Misbehavin', for which she earned a Grammy nomination. She was also a featured performer on Wanda Sykes' Hilarious, and she has done voiceover work for the hit Nickelodeon cartoon Wonder Pets. An outspoken advocate for Black, Brown, and LGBTQIA communities, Frenchie continues to wow audiences with her unique and versatile talent. And she keeps them in stitches with her unapologetically witty outlook on life. But before we get started, I need to remind you that Open Deeply Podcast is not therapy nor a replacement for therapy. And please know this episode has difficult themes around reproductive health. So if you catch yourself becoming emotionally overwhelmed by this episode's content, please get support. Call a friend, a therapist, or an emotional support hotline like 800-273-TALK, which is 8255. For a moment, I'd like to talk about the purpose of Open Deeply. As a psychotherapist, I hear clients' life stories for a living. A million times across my career, I've thought, if only the world could hear what I hear, then the pandemic of shame that disconnects all of us would dissolve. Psychotherapists tend to look through a looking glass at a client's pain and only see the microcosm of how a client's family and immediate community has impacted them when the macrocosm of systemic bigotry like sexism, racism, ableism, sexual shame, etc., is just as debilitating to varying degrees depending on privilege. We believe that our biggest weapon against how dominator culture negatively impacts all of us, both on the microcosmic and macrocosmic level, is telling our vulnerable life story. Because it's only vulnerability that has the power to reconnect us. Frenchie, we originally wanted you to be our very first guest because you have always told your vulnerable life story and therefore you embody what this podcast is all about. But the universe had other plans and delayed you from being a guest for a while. And yet I get the sense that that was for a reason and that now is perfect timing. It is. It definitely is. Where do we even start? Do we start from... (laughs) I guess that's a perfect segue into why I wasn't able to be your first guest. And what's so interesting is normally my behavior pattern is to push through no matter what I'm personally dealing with. Well, this has just been one of those life moments where I have been learning that it is okay to prioritize myself 
and prioritize my overall well-being. Shortly after you and I first met, I found out that I had been born with my uterus split in half and that a lot of the reproductive health issues that I had been dealing with in painful periods, it had gotten to the point where I was going to need to have a, a hysterectomy surgery. And that sort of catapulted me into what I now refer to as a dark night of the soul. And I guess the moral of the story that I'm getting ready to share with you all is ain't no rewards for being the strong friend all the time. Uh-huh. Yep. And I don't care how many inspirational pep talks you give your girlfriends. I don't care how many yoga meditation practices you implement into your life. I don't care how many mantras you say out loud. None of that matters if you don't get into the practice of prioritizing yourself and your own healing. And that is what the past, what, 15 months or so really forced me to learn. You know, I found out that I would have to have this hysterectomy surgery and, you know, the initial anger and grief that I experienced was, you know, grieving the loss of my ability to have children because I don't have children and I, and I always wanted them. Yeah. And it really sent me into a tailspin of, of anger and resentment about many of the expectations that are societally placed on women. I always think about Kim Porter when she passed away, how they couldn't even write about her passing without her being Puffy's baby mama in every damn headline. And it's like, you know, our society and our culture has done a really good job of teaching girls and women that their lives aren't valuable if they aren't coupled or somebody's mama. And so I really went on this dark journey of dismantling a lot of that. And it wasn't just the hysterectomy. I was coming out of a, I call it a situationship. (laughs) Um, (laughs) An entanglement. (laughs) With a narcissist who really, I mean, now that I'm, you know, looking back in retrospect, I realized that my experience with him, along with the hysterectomy, they were all catalysts for the healing work that I'm doing now. But my heart was really broken and I I felt really betrayed and violated from that experience. And in some ways, feeling like my choices had been stolen from me in that experience because of, you know, some of the dishonesties I experienced with this man. And unknowingly, that feeling of violation, it triggered an old rape trauma, came out in therapy. And um, I actually had conversations with you about it, Kate, and you encouraged me to find a sex trauma therapist to work through some of that. And, you know, it's been months later, I have found one. I found a black woman who specializes in sex trauma therapy um, for rape survivors. And so really, like I said, I, I really went through the version of the story that you guys are getting now is like 
I'm in the middle of the healing work now and I'm a lot less angry. <laughs> I'm a lot. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that you love your therapist. Yes, I do. That, and that's important. It was really important to me to find someone who was a woman and who was black or brown because I just, I don't have, I'm not wasting my money trying to walk you through my life experiences in the first few sessions. So I had to, like, that was important to me. And I'm really thankful that I made the decision to do that. But during this, you know, all of this, you know, the world was shut down for people who don't know, you know, what I do by trade. You know, I'm a singer and a Broadway performer. And so what I loved to do, like, I didn't really have a lot of outlets for that anymore. You know, live stage performance is like, I didn't have my my normal go-to for joy, because usually when I would feel myself getting into a dark emotional space, I would always, you know, have singing, like my schedule would get busy with, with doing what I loved, and that would kind of take up all my, my time. But I was in the house, not on stage. I was in the house alone, and I felt immense isolation, and I was angry, and I was sad, and my, you know, my friend Chad, well, everybody knows him as Chad with Bozeman, but I just know him as Chad. Then Chad passed away. Yeah, he was a dear friend of yours. Yeah, we went to college together. I met Chad my first day of college. So then losing Chad on top of that, it was just, and then, you know, finding out that the the narcissist guy slept with a friend of mine from college. Like, <laughs> it was... That's so much. I really got thrust into a really dark space that I really could not figure out how to climb out of. And so when what I learned during this season was that a lot of my relationships were rooted in my being the strong friend and the fun friend all the time. That is so hard when you hit a rough patch. Yeah. When I did not have the capacity to be that person, a lot of my friendships fell off. And so it was a really intense, dark time. And I mean, I was I was still going to therapy once a week and doing yoga every day. I mean, I was doing all the steps, even though in the moment it didn't feel like the shit was working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Takes a while. <laughs> Takes a while, yeah. doesn't it? Takes a minute. <laughs> yeah. And then... Then I was like, okay, I have to prepare my body for this surgery. You know, abdominal surgery is no joke. So I started, in addition to doing the therapy once a week and doing the yoga, I really started focusing my yoga practice and my fitness work on like strengthening my core because I knew that that would help my recovery from the surgery, you know, go by a little quicker. Fast forward, you know, um, after healing from the surgery in the house by myself and going through this really dark stage, little by little, it just, it started to feel less heavy. You know, I just kept doing the work, even when it didn't feel like it was working and going on my nature walks and doing my yoga and meditating twice a day and meditating twice a day is so freaking powerful. Yes. Uh -huh. Medita I was meditating twice a day 
and talking to my therapist. And then when I found the sex trauma therapist, I started seeing her as well, in addition to my regular therapist. So it was like, you know, therapy once a week, meditation twice a day. Like I was on a schedule and it was literally like I had to put myself on a schedule and be really, really intentional about how I spent my time in the house by myself, trying to navigate everything that was happening, not only in my life, but in the world around me and the world being shut down. But it was interesting, even though some of my, my friendships fell off, I, you know, started connecting more with you. And, you know, there were people who I knew, but I hadn't historically been very close to, but they just started showing up, you know, after my surgery, sending me care packages. And the guy down the street from me was coming to take my trash out because I wasn't allowed to lift anything heavy for the first couple of weeks. And, you know, just all these different ways that the universe was showing up for me and, and letting me know that even when I felt really alone, I had support and I wasn't alone. Yeah. What that whole season forced me to deal with is that that loneliness and that isolation piece was something that had always been there I think if I'm being honest with myself but it really became magnified by the quarantine and 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 the pandemic and everything else processing that you know, with therapy and and all of the other healing work I was doing, I realized I started to see how that fear of loneliness showed up in some of the choices I made in my relationships. And even in trying to hold on to the friendships that were fading and my initially not wanting to accept that or, or really let go. And this entire season, I think has been a huge lesson in letting go. Yeah. And surrender. Also learning to be okay with the fact that you're not going to be okay all the time. Yeah. And also even in the darkness, like those little rays of light do peek in. If you're paying attention, they do. The people who show up, the support that you don't expect that shows up. I mean, yeah. I mean, you definitely lose people when you go through a dark night of the soul, but the people who show up in their stead, they feel more in alignment with who you're evolving into and more in alignment with the wholeness of who you are. Because I, my favorite t-shirt says emotional labor union strike. <laughs> <laughs> I've resigned myself from being the strong friend. And so I can only have friendships and relationships that allow me the space to not be okay sometimes and to uh, be vulnerable and not have to always be the voice of wisdom and, and strength. That's a game changer. It is. You know, I now, especially in sex trauma therapy, like I've become really aware of how angry I've been about the things that I I can't change or control and you know really leaning into the power of of surrender 
Uh-huh. I'm a very spiritual person, so I don't I don't always know how to speak to people who don't believe in nothing. But for me, I believe that you know our thoughts have immense power, and you can't open your arms to fully receive what's actually meant for you if you're struggling to hold on to the shit that's just clearly not. And I'm still grieving, you know, the loss of body parts and the loss of my ability to have children. And I think on a more deeper level, grieving the loss of what I thought life might look like had I not had to lose those things. Learning to make my peace with with that. I believe that I've lived other lifetimes and I think I've mothered enough people and maybe I'm I'm supposed to rest this time. And, you know, so I am just, I'm like I said, I'm still grieving, but now it's, it's like I'm in this middle ground space of leaning into the woman I'm destined to evolve into and recognizing that all of these heartbreaking experiences were like had to be a part of that journey. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Yeah. So you and I have had conversations. We both have had hysterectomies for different reasons. So I think when you have a hysterectomy, like there's a healing process that happens kind of at the macrocosmic level and then the microcosmic level of, of, you know, the people, you know, and all that. But even at the super microcosmic level of your own body Mm -hmm. and so this is where my question lies so your experience is different than mine but for me like I've been tracking my body since I was a little girl so I can not only get in touch with where you know different energy flows stuff like that in my body but you know I can I can I can notice a lot in my body just because I've been doing this since I was in elementary school Mm -hmm. but I noticed after my hysterectomy that the where my uterus was was kind of like a dead zone whereas before it felt alive Mm -hmm. and I have like been still actively working to move energy through that part of my body Mm -hmm. and I'm just wondering where you're at with that like have you noticed that kind of stuff well I will say this I've had to be intentional about because you shared that with me that was something that I've been intentional about you know, I, I try to keep energy flow to that area and yeah. do womb healing exercises and yeah, a, a lot of those things because that's something that you had shared with me. That was one of the things that I knew to be mindful of and, and to be paying attention to. So I've kind of been intentional about keeping some kind of energy flow in that area and incorporating that in my yoga work and my workouts. That's awesome. I think that's important for people that have had a surgery where they've lost an organ, or I think it's important for people healing from sexual trauma that's impacted their body, any of that. And I mean, just on a side note, you know, for anybody that might profit from what we're talking about, I found that doing acupuncture while tracking my body and trying to focus on energy coming to that part of my body, the combination of those two things helped. Yes, I've been thinking about trying acupuncture because I've a lot of women who've had hysterectomies have mentioned that as one of the things that helps a lot. Walking is another thing that 
they say is one of the best things that women who've had hysterectomies can do. So I go on my nature walks and I do core work every day and just try to, you know, get stronger physically. And it's interesting. And I, it could be the hysterectomy. It could be things that I'm unpacking in sex trauma therapy. And it could be a combination of the two. But I've not had sex yet since. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm approaching the eight-month mark of my hysterectomy surgery. You know, I've always been a very sexual person. And so I feel like I'm experiencing some kind of grief where that's concerned as well. You know, like there's a sexual freeness that I always felt that I feel like I'm still trying to tap into after the surgery. Yeah, and I know you've been talking about it, like on Instagram, you've been talking about the upcoming fucking and and all that. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's become a show yeah. and everything. And it's like, I can't believe the fucking is a show and I still haven't fucked anybody yet. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I just want to say something really quickly because I just realized I might have said something that might be, might kind of scare people that are listening. Oh. <laughs> when I, when I, <laughs> which I don't want to do. When I say that, that that area of my body kind of was, was dead for a little while I'm not saying that when I had sex it was dead you know it's like when I had sex it was you know when I was ready to have sex it was epic and wonderful and still is I'm just saying when I was alone you know it took some time to really get that energy flow so I'm not I don't want to scare people make them think oh my god sex is going to be a dead zone like that's not what I'm saying just just wanted to say that caveat Yes, thank you for that clarification. I've just been brutally honest with myself about the fact that I don't feel ready yet. You know, physically, there are moments when I feel ready, but then I feel like there's like so much other stuff that like I'm working through, you know, I'm still, I feel like I'm still grieving a little bit from the hysterectomy. I'm still, and I'm still healing from the way some of my old rape trauma got triggered for my last dating experience, you know, and I want to honor, you know, I'm practicing, you know, honoring myself and being honest with myself. So even though physically like, you know, and definitely the maca root powder in the smoothies is like physically there are moments when I feel ready, but then I'm just like, I I feel pickier and I'm, I I don't want to share my body with emotionally broken people. <laughs> right. <Don't. laughs> I get it. Yeah, I don't want to share my new pussy with emotionally broken people. So I've gotten pickier. And, you know, I, going back to what I was saying earlier about how if you start leaning into the surrender part, you will begin to notice those rays of light that peek through and, and the people who show up for you. And, my guy friend who lives down the street from me, the one who was taking my trash out for me, you know, he's become like an amazing friend. And I have like this whole tribe of beautiful men around me. And like, I've had a whole last hot girl summer, even though I haven't had sex yet. I've been, I've been <laughs> on dates every weekend. I've gone outside. I've gone to nudist parties. I went to the naked beach. I mean, <laughs> I've really been living and you know, what has been, so powerful for me in this particular part of the story is being shown the kind of out loud love and adoration I I really deserve and am worthy of. 
it's so interesting that these these relationships with all these beautiful men have blossomed at a time when my sex trauma therapist said to me, you know, spend some time really reflecting on all the ways that love and romance have shown up in your life non-sexually. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's like my whole summer, actually. You know? <laughs> right. You know, a lot of this has forced me to see the ways that I have not always clearly seen how valuable and worthy I am. And a lot of, I, you know, now I know that that's a common thing with survivors, right? right. You know, we self-blame and we beat ourselves up and we, we deal with self-worth issues. And so this has really been a journey for me of really seeing my true value and seeing the wholeness of who I am without all of those things that I thought made me who I am. Like, I don't have a uterus no more. I ain't fucking. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I mean, this is the funnest my dating life has ever been, but I don't have a sex life right now. It's really interesting. So it's it's like this journey of discovery of like who I really am at the core, absent of all of these things that I thought I thought made me who I was, you know. And so now, like I said, when I say I'm still grieving, I'm even grieving like the woman I used to be and, and the woman I thought I was. Yeah, right. I think with a lot of folks, you know, when you go through something that's like so traumatic and it's so traumatic that many times you're on your bed in the fetal position just sobbing mm -hmm. and you feel so desperately alone yep. and so in pain on the other side of that when it's that bad it's just bad and horrible but then on the other side of that if you are really doing the self-work like meditating all the time like you were and having this huge spiritual journey Usually on the other side of that, there's all these blessings and like, it's almost like a Kundalini awakening of growth that happens. Right. And it sounds like that's what happened for you. Yeah, it is. And so I guess that was a really roundabout way for me to tell your listeners that number one, it is absolutely okay if you're not okay. Yeah. Number two, what you do about healing the parts that are not okay. It like that is really like that work is so important. And I'm speaking from experience, an experience that I'm still presently living. That when I say to you that even when it feels like this shit ain't working, you will begin to see how it is in very transformative ways and, and very small ways in some instances. And also, I would say exercise, like get in the habit and learn to practice exercising grace for yourself. Because what, I, what I've learned is that a lot of the anger and the resentment that I was still holding on to, you know, some of it was me being mad at myself for what I didn't know. You know, you look back and like once you start to learn to value yourself more and believe in yourself more and trust 
in yourself more, then you it's really easy to get tempted to look back in retrospect and want to get angry at the you who didn't know better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I will, I say this, you know, the more you work on forgiving yourself, exercise grace for the fact that you didn't know. Right. It's one thing to be, to like, now I know better and I'm still going to do stupid shit. That's different. (laughs) That's different than you not knowing or you doing the best that you had the capacity to do at that time and exercising grace for that person. And what I've learned is that the better I'm becoming at exercising grace for myself, the easier it is becoming for me to forgive other people for the ways that they've been harmful in my life. Yeah. If you were to unpack the word grace, what, what all is in that? It sounds like self-compassion, yes, self-forgiveness. Yes. Self-forgiveness, compassion, lots of compassion and, and softness. Like we were saying earlier, you know, sex trauma survivors, we learn how to beat ourselves up and, right. and blame ourselves. So recognize that like, you are not responsible for other people's harmful behaviors. It is not your fault. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like so many things came together in this process. A lot of things have come together and listen, they still are like, I'm not all the way through it, you know, but I have come a long way. I've come a long way. I'm still getting there wherever there is, but I, I will say I am experiencing a lot of joy at this part of the journey. Still grief, but there I'm still experiencing the joy and mm-hmm. a lot of it, you know, I, I feel hopeful and mm-hmm. I, I feel really proud of myself. Yeah, and not trying to push any particular spiritual dogma on anybody, but I'm just wondering if you could speak a little bit more about your brand of spirituality and how it showed up for you. So I I feel like I practice a hybrid spirituality. You know, I was raised Christian, but over the years I have connected with more indigenous spiritual practices And it's so interesting because once I started doing that, then I found out, oh, that's really what my ancestors practiced. So my ancestors are Yoruba and Hausa. I also know that my family came to America in the 1850s on the Clotilda, which is one of the last known slave ships to come to America. Uh You know, on that, that voyage to the Americas, they tried to hold on to as much as they could. And I think it shows up in the way we worship God, it shows up in our food. It shows up in so many ways. How our our ancestors who first you know came here really tried to to hold on to our indigenous practices from the motherland. So I believe that God may be a woman. I believe she may be a black woman. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I believe that all the stories can be true at the same time. I don't think it's a coincidence that the same celestial beings pop up in all the different stories, you know, that like 
the angel Gabriel told the Quran to Muhammad, but also told Mary she was pregnant with Jesus. So like, I feel like God is like an ocean. Then there are all these lakes and rivers and streams that we all have our own personal way of connecting to it, but it's all the same source. I personally cannot do organized patriarchal religion. I cannot worship God in spaces where the divine feminine has been eliminated or erased. So I do uh, practice like a hybrid of Yoruba tradition with non-patriarchal Christianity. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I'm right there with you. You know, it's interesting. This is the second time, and I might not pronounce it right, that Yoruba has been brought up because my friend Baba Tunde was just on the podcast a couple of recently, and he's learning Yoruba. And one thing he talked about just the other day when I was chatting with him is that Yoruba doesn't have gender pronouns, right? which is interesting, you know, because we were talking about how, you know, certain societies, especially in Africa and, you know, in certain countries in Africa are matrilinear. We were just talking about gender related to different countries in Africa. And I mean, um, they do have this concept of like feminine and masculine, mm-hmm. you know, and there certain deities are... Like Oshun and Yimiya, they are goddesses, you know, whereas we know that Shango and, you know, so there are deities that are considered masculine or feminine. But yes, you are correct about particular gender pronouns. And then there, I mean, there's so many indigenous spiritual belief systems in which gender ambiguity was considered like a higher and even higher form of spirituality. Well, it's it's interesting. I've, I've talked on the podcast how I've done a lot of different plant medicine journeys and things like that. And I'll tell you what, before I started doing all that, I was almost leaning at a certain point briefly, almost towards atheism. But then when I started doing all these plant medicine journeys, that completely changed me. And by the way, just to kind of back what you're saying, everything that I see in those journeys is all like either plants, animals, but all the people are brown people or black, brown people that I, I never see a white person. <laughs> you know what? It's my favorite atheist. <laughs> well, you know, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. He was originally a scientist. I don't know if y'all know this, but I, I'm a book nerd. But so C.S. Oh. Lewis, he wrote all the Chronicles of Narnia. And he right. was a scientist who wanted to prove, he wanted to scientifically prove that God didn't exist. But in his research, he ended up becoming a believer. And the Chronicles of Narnia is kind of what he wrote after that journey. So, like, clearly Aslan is like, you know, I don't know if y'all ever watched The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's oh, my, yeah. It was one of my yeah. favorite books. But clearly Aslan is Jesus. You know, it's right. not a coincidence that one of the kids' name is Peter. You know, right. it's really interesting how he went on this, you know, sort of, scientific research journey to prove that God didn't exist and ended up ended up becoming a spiritual awakening for him. And out of that spiritual awakening, he created like this story and magical land that like it, I, I don't think I know a book nerd who doesn't love those books. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, I, I love those mm-hmm. books. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I can say, I, I, I feel compelled to tell just a super short story about that. Yes. Like, so I'm going to just nutshell it. 
when I was six, my dad left without a note. You know, I was devastated. And my mom tried to cheer me up by giving me a haircut. And the beautician thought it'd be a good idea to give a six-year-old a shag haircut back in the 70s. Aww. Right? And so, I, you know, which was a second trauma. And when I grew up later, uh, I always dated guys for long with long hair for a long time. Anyway, so I didn't grow for three years after that. Wow. And then one day I saw The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the cartoon... And the moment that Aslan was up on that rock, you know, he was up on the mountain on the rock and they shaved off his mane. Three years later, I just burst into tears. Wow. And after that, I started growing again. It's oh, almost wow. like that, that, that imagery of, you know, the hair link was kind of what I needed to uh, unlock all this pent up stuff inside of me. So, yeah, that, that series is super powerful for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so, you know, you've had this huge spiritual journey and a lot of pain. One thing that you talked about at the very beginning is you talked about, uh, you didn't use this language, but kind of being the tough chick where you're there for everybody else. I'll, I'll have to say, I've had my own journey and I've talked to other women about this. It's one of those things where I think the tough chick, the one that's there for everyone else, we think we usually come from a certain history that shaped us into that, right? Mm -hmm. And we think that this is the way to stay safest. This is the way to make sure we have friends, all of that. But the thing is, we attract a certain type of friend that completely either run away or attack us when we are down. Yes. But then if something turns it around where we realize it's important to have a balance in our friendships then all of a sudden we start having these rich friendships that are better than anything we've ever experienced before. And conversely, you know, going through that has been a mirror for me and showed me ways that I want to be a better friend and ways that I want to show up better for the people who affirm me and lift me up and who hold space for me, even in my darkest hours. So it has been, you know, not just eye-opening for, you know, the kind of uh, friends and, and support that I need, but it's also, it's held a mirror up and, and shown me ways that I can show up better for the people I love. Right. Yeah, for any of us that have gone through this, it's this huge wake-up call that maybe you can relate to this, where you think that it's the perfection that will make sure that we have friends and then it's like this huge wake-up call to realize, no, it's actually the vulnerability and the imperfection that draws yeah. love and rich friendships. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's really when you start dismantling all of the things in the world that teach us to not fully love and value ourselves. And when you really start like dismantling some of that, it's like Eartha Kitt said in my favorite, you know, the, the compromise for what the famous... Earth the Kid interview. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I hope you have. I've seen a lot of different things. I don't know if I've seen no, the whole thing. It's full. a famous Earth the Kid interview where they ask her about love and relationships and compromise. And when yes. they said the word yes. compromise, mm -hmm. our girl Eartha went off. Compromise for what? Okay. And she... <laughs> <laughs> Yep. No, it is epic. Oh, it it's is. epic. It is, it is a moment 
especially to see a black woman of that era when it was still expected for women to make all these compromises just to be coupled. I mean, back when we were still coupling as a means of survival and not out of compatibility and alignment, you know? So it was very, it was powerful. It was a moment. And she said, compromise for what? Wait, because I love you. I'm supposed to compromise. And the guy asked her, so then how does it work then? Is, is Eartha in love with herself? And she said, exactly. I learned to fall in love with myself. And then I find someone to share that love with. And that is really what it's about. It's really about, you know, drawing people to you who can match the love that you learn to feel for yourself when you start healing. Right. Well, I think women, especially us that have been trained to be overgivers, we think that love is just like giving, giving, giving and not having any self-care boundaries. You know what? The, the stronger my boundaries have become, the more powerful the love that I receive has felt, honestly. Right. And the healthier. Honestly. And, and I tell people, empaths, givers, we have to have boundaries because takers ain't got none. Right. Yeah. And they can sniff us out. Oh, baby. Like a freaking velociraptor, man. They can just sniff us out. They can. And... You know, like that goes back to what I said at the beginning. Ain't no rewards for being a strong friend all the time. Ain't no rewards for violating your own boundaries just to keep people around. Because what I was saying earlier when I was saying how immensely powerful our thoughts are, you know, when you start weakening your boundaries to keep people around, you're, you're really whispering to the universe, I don't believe I deserve better. I don't right. believe that I'm worthy of being loved with my boundaries. Yeah. And within, you know, I'm a therapist that mostly works with non-monogamous folks. A lot of times, especially in non-monogamy, overgivers are like, but, you know, the love language within non-monogamy is freedom. And if I have all these boundaries, I'm taking away the other person's freedom. No, what, I'm not. what I'd say is there's a balance. <laughs> listen, I support non-monogamy and I, listen, but no, there must be boundaries and I don't play games. Right. Like I, I met this guy who, you know, was asking to take me out on a date and he was saying he was polyamorous. And I said, well, what kind of, you know, are you coupled? Are you poly and coupled or like, are you single? He was telling me that he had a girlfriend. And I said, when he started asking if he could take me out on a date, I said, well, how would you feel about me meeting your girlfriend before we went on a date? And he was like, you know, first of all, I, I don't just be introducing my girl to rand I said, wait a minute, first, let me stop you right there. Because if you think uh -huh. I'm just a random bitch, I'm confused on why the fuck you on the phone with me. <laughs> uh -huh. Right. Absolutely. First of all, secondly, I'm too fucking sexy to be a secret. So I don't date people who are coupled without the full knowledge and consent of their partner. That is my so, boundary in polyamory. Okay. Cause I'm not sneaking to do shit. Right. And Absolutely. you know, he goes to me after that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a sifting process baby you yeah. got rid of some bad news that's a sifting process but you know it's realizing that like it's okay to have boundaries because that to me that lets me know that he was going to be on some bullshit and yeah. i have learned that it's okay to like i recommend it highly have boundaries have firm ones and 
because the people who show up and want to like maneuver around them, they on some bullshit. Right. Right. Yeah. I talked to overgivers about this, like, and I, I warn them, like when you first start doing this and, and these narcissists like bail and ghost you, you're going to feel like you were dumped, but you have to remember that you started the sifting process. Yep. Knowing that if they were a narcissist, that they would either throw an adult, you know, fit or that they would ghost you. So you actually started that process and you have to rem- remind yourself that you started that sifting process and that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, even with the narcissist I was dealing with before my hysterectomy, I had to realize that I had started that sifting process. Like the behavior really, you know, and the ghosting behavior and the the actions not following through on the words really got shaky when when a bitch started holding him accountable. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So find those ways that you can celebrate yourself, even when you feel, even when you got hurt, even when a, a boundary. I had to reframe my my language when I was talking about that experience, you know, because at first I was like, I can't, like, how can I let him manipulate, you know, me the way that he did? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. If I let him do it, then that goes against the whole definition of manipulation. Like... <laughs> You know, and like really, again, finding ways to exercise grace for myself and celebrate the even the moments in that experience where I did empower myself and exercise boundaries. And that's that's a really good thing for your listeners to hear that, like, even the situation where like you might feel rejected, like in some instances, no, you, you start at that sifting process. Right. Right. People who are full of shit know when you can smell them. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is a bit of a hard turn, but talking about empowerment, you led this whole episode talking about Chad Bosman. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you'd like to to go there in terms of some of the things that have been super empowering, some really good news that have happened lately. I was wondering if you'd like to talk about that. I, okay. So there are some things that I don't want to say it until my contract is signed. Okay. But I will, hopefully, I'll be able to say it on the next episode. Hopefully. Oh, okay. Okay. There are some very exciting things happening. And when I'm able to share it, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell y'all the story how I really manifested the shit, you know, how I really spoke it into the universe. So what I'd say to anybody listening is if Frenchie isn't able to say it in the second episode... Follow her on Instagram because eventually she's probably be going to be do- oh, doing yeah. this huge reveal and it is epic and you guys will want to know. If you mm-hmm. love if you love Frenchie, you will want to know because it is amazing. Yes, I'm <laughs> yes. very excited. I'm very excited. It's so crazy. I've also come up with a concept for my first album. I have talked myself out of recording an album for I've been performing professionally for what's over 20 years now. Again, slowly dismantling all the ways that I've I've been told or told myself that I wasn't enough and feeling intimidated by the whole process. Like, oh, I don't have the right songwriters and I don't have the right producers. And I was watching old videos of myself performing and really just, you know, celebrating myself for the fact that like, wow, I even with no album and no record deal, I have been a working performer for over 20 years and people still pay to come hear me sing 
And I thought, like, there, there's a concept for an album somewhere in there in what I do in my live shows. And I came up with one, and I'm excited yeah. to, to reveal more about that later down the line as well. But there's a lot of amazing opportunities that are unfolding for me creatively and, and professionally, et cetera. And I really do believe that it is the universe responding to my being intentional about affirming that I am enough. And unlearning all the ways that I had convinced myself that I wasn't in the past. And I've just loved following you on Instagram, not just for your voice, but also just that you are so soulful in the way you say things. And we we feel so blessed to have you be the person that did our intro and our outro on the podcast. I feel so blessed that you asked me to do that and see that again. I feel like we manifested that too. You know, um, I had literally just started taking voiceover lessons when you reached out to me to do that. Oh, wow. I just started taking voiceover lessons thinking, okay, the world's shut down. How can I equip myself to still create art and do something with my voice even when I'm locked in the house by myself. And I started doing voiceover lessons virtually. The whole point of it is so I can put together my voiceover reel and start auditioning for voiceover work. And it's like, I took my first lesson and then you reached out to me about doing the intro to the podcast. So that yeah, was there's, aligning. There's been a lot of synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I never would have found my sex trauma therapist if it wasn't for you either, you know? So I feel like, you know, a lot of good has manifested from you and I crossing paths, Kate. And I'm, I love well, you and I'm thankful for you, girl. Well, I love you too. And, and if there's anything that I can do to make you big and bold in this world that I have the power to, to help push along, I'll, I'll do that. And I'm so glad you're going to be on a second episode with you. Where I we're gonna... am. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. As the uh, recovering strong friend, I really enjoyed that. It's like, oh, yeah, I still have some work to do. And I'm so thankful that you you shared your insight and your journey with you. all of us, you know, and, and personally for me, because I'm like, oh, okay, little checklist of things I still need to work on. And I know our listeners are making their checklist, too. Mm-hmm. So in our next episode, I cannot wait until we talk more, until we explore more. And listeners, of course, we invite you to join us to bring your little checklists when we once again dare to open deeply. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And we'll talk again soon. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Find us online at opendeeplypodcast.com and on social media at Kate Marie or at Sunny Megatron. Check back bi-weekly for new episodes, and until next time, remember, your authentic truth is only found when you dare to open deeply. Intro and outro voice by the queen goddess, Frenchie Davis. Intro and outro music by the Baltimore Bull, Rob Burrell.